This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. You know, I, I think about life at different times in life. Well, I've had weights on me. And you know, the Bible says that we're in a race. We're in a marathon, a Christian race. And you know what? It's really kind of hard to run in a race if you're carrying weights. The person that runs the fastest that can run the longest is the one that has no weights. They're just running carefree through life. And as a Christian, when you're carrying weights, it's hard to do all God wants you to do. Amen? And so that's why the Holy Spirit at times like this, and praise God for live church services. You can be in church, not just watch somebody on a little screen. But you're in a church service. The Bible talks about the corporate anointing, the glory of God in a service. And when you're at a service like this, where lots of people here and they're worshiping Jesus, then we all bring anointing in. And then especially when you have good worship with a good praise team of people entering in, then if you could have your eyes open, you'd see like a cloud of glory in here. And with that anointing's in here, an atmosphere like that, then the Lord can speak to a pastor, whoever's leading the service, and say what he said to me, I want to help some people this morning. I say, okay, Lord, how do you want to help them? There's a lot of worried people in here. I want to help them. Amen. You know, that doesn't happen in your living room usually, sitting there trying to watch something, because you hear the buzzer go off, and you got to jump up and go in and change the clothes in the dryer. And then come back in, and you missed what happened. Or a kid starts crying outside or something, you have to take off running, but you're in a church service, you're in a place where you're not distracted, and the power of God's here, and you leave here, and then you get back out there and face the real world again, except you face it different this time. You're looking through the eyes of Jesus, and you're not worried about it. You just start praising Him, thanking Him that He's got it. And then when people look at you, they say things like, Well, you know what? That, that Mike, there's something wrong with him. He doesn't have enough sense to know what's going on. Now, Mike's got Bible sense. He knows what's going on. In the spiritual realm, there's angels. There's the Holy Spirit. God is doing things in that realm out there that people can't see. And so Mike just walk along praising the Lord, just thinking, Jesus, that is done. And people looking through natural eyes think he's nuts. But he's got the mind of Christ. And that's for all of you, too. You know, when people accuse you that, 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 you're, that you're so stupid, that you're religiously brainwashed, you say, no, I'm not religiously brainwashed. My mind is renewed by the Word of God. I look through the eyes of the Word. I see what God sees. And that's why I can shout. Good time to shout one more time. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, how many brought your Bible today? You got your Bible with you? Well, I'll t- tell you what, let's hold up our Bibles. It's really good to do this. And, you know, if, if you're on a, so some other electronic device or something like that, you read your Bible off it, then hold it up because you got the Word of God in there. But we, we need to really always remember what this book is. This is, this is not a newspaper. It's not a dictionary. This is not a murder mystery. This is words of life. And the Bible teaches us that the Word of God is God talking to us. And when we receive this personally, as if Jesus were standing here talking to us, then that helps us to receive all He has for us. Amen? Say, this is my Bible. This is the holy written Word of God. Given to me, given to me by God my Father to reveal... The living word. The living word is Jesus, my Lord and Savior. The written word 
reveals the living word. I am who my Bible says I am. I can do everything, absolutely everything, that my Bible says I can do. And I can have everything that my Bible says I can have. Now, I'm a believer, and I'm a receiver, and everything the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart today, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to live in the blessings of God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, today, you can go up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start off this 31 and 32. But for, for taking your notes, uh, the title of the day is God's number one priority for every believer. How many here is a believer? How many believers we got out there? I can see you out there somewhere. You're out there in whatever land that is. But anyway, uh, if you're a believer, that God has no different rules for one believer to another. God has the same priorities for every believer. And I was thinking as we worshiped the Lord back in 1983, I was in Bible school and had a class called Practical Christian Living. And for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks, this man went through the Bible and taught us God's five priorities for every person on earth. And they're in order how the Bible teaches them, what he taught us. I'm just going to tell you what they were. These aren't in my notes, but I just think about it as was worship of the Lord. And this is why so many people, including a lot of you, probably life's out of whack right now. You're trying to figure out what to do to get it straightened up, and so you got the wrong priorities in order. You know, when you build a house, you don't put the roof on the ground. You don't put the cement blocks for the foundation on the roof. If you do, something's going to crash. So if you get your priorities, spiritual priorities, out of order, then your life's just always going to be messed up. You're never going to figure it out. But anyway, the number one priority that God has for every human being, I'm not just talking about Christians, every human being, number one priority is to have a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus. Do you know it doesn't make any difference how much money you make, how long you live, how much influence you have? If you're not born again, you don't go to heaven. And eternity is a whole lot longer than if you get to live a ripe old age of 100, 120 years old. Eternity is forever. And that's just temporary on earth. So the number one priority that God has in the Bible, Jesus said it this way in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Number one priority. If, that, if, that's, not, if that's not your number one priority in life, a relationship with the Father through Jesus, then nothing else is really going to work. You might have temporary successes in areas of life, but what happens when you take your last breath? <laughs> Amen. And then according to the Bible, and by the way, this class, everything started the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is called the book of beginnings. What God had instructed for the human race always starts at the book of beginnings. And then as you study through the whole Bible, all the rest of the Bible relates back to Genesis, the book of beginnings, because God, God set things in order in the book of Genesis. So after God made the man, has relationship with Adam, the number two thing is God brought him a wife. And so the number two priority for God after a relationship with Jesus is your mate. And if you get the job in front of the mate, the church in front of the mate, or anything else, you missed it. The things aren't going to work. Because God then told Adam, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. So the number three priority is your children. If you get your children ahead of your mate, then you got it out of order. 
It's got to be husband, wife, second, after relationship with God. Then number three has got to be the children. And people try to figure out why things aren't working right. Well, that's because they put the job ahead of the mate. (laughs) Or the children even ahead of the mate. You can't love your children first and your mate second. You're going to crash. Amen. I know back in Indiana where we came from years ago, they used to, they had this campaign going on called Children First. Well, we know the attempt was good, but people had bumper stickers and license plates where they had Children First. We always thought, man, that's wrong. It's Jesus first. It's made second. And then children can really be highly blessed in a family if dad and mom have things in order. They're number one, dad's, dad and mom have no relationship with Jesus. Number two, loving each other as Christ loves the church, submitting unto the husband as unto the Lord, etc. The Bible's very plain on that. And then, and then after that, after, after husband, husband, wife, children, it's then church. Church is your number one priority. When you're loving Jesus first, you're going to go to church anyway. But so many people get their church and service to the church that have their priorities. Somebody said, man, that's a strange thing for a preacher to say. Well, I know the Bible. Because I know if you love Jesus first, you're going to go to church. But your church isn't going to be your Lord. Your church is going to be a place where it's nice to come to. You're going to want to serve. You're going to want to worship. You're going to want to do things. But your church can't be your dictator. Am I doing good preaching or what? That's the that's the, that's God's priorities. It's got to be Jesus first, then your mate, then your children, then your church, and then the bottom of the pecking order is your job. And the Bible's real plain about your job. In Thessalonians, Paul said, "A man don't work, he don't eat." And then in Ephesians uh, chapter 4, he says you're supposed to labor with your hands, that you'll have to give. And so job is in there, but so many people get the job right up here, so they got, they got the cement blocks and the cement on top, and then they got the covering down here, the roofs on the ground, and they got Jesus down here, and they got everything else up here, and then all the time, they're in the prayer line all the time. Pastor, I need prayer, I need prayer, I need prayer. What's going on? Oh, man, I'm just so much in debt. I'm working so many hours, working so many hours. Don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, pray for i got to have strength. And I'm thinking, man, no wonder you got the foundation up here on top, and you're getting crashed under all the weight. you got to get some things turned around. You understand what I'm saying? Hey, man, this here's, this here's things coming straight from the Holy Ghost. They're not in the notes. But God wants to help you. And so that's why we're going to look at the Word of God today about God's number one priority for every believer. Amen. And so we're going, to, we're going to read from the Word of God now. So in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, and leading up to verse 31, Jesus is talking about all, all, all the different things that people need. That, you know, uh, gasoline is not in the Bible, but you know gasoline's a very serious need. Amen. Gasoline, diesel fuel, Man, they, they control about everything in your life. If you don't like the price of a loaf of bread right now, don't blame the store. It's the diesel that go on these trucks and these locomotives and everything else to get that stuff to the store. And just like when you go to the gas pump and you fill it up and your gas has costed so much more than it did a few months ago, and you know, you whine and you groan, but you have to pay it. Well, all those truckers and transportation people get the goods to the Walmart or to the restaurants, wherever you're going. 
They'll go broke if they don't raise their prices because their prices are up too. And so diesel and gasoline, Jesus knows that's something the Bible calls a need. It's a need for life because we need food. We need clothes. And Matthew chapter 6 talks about all the clothes and the food and the things it takes to be able to live and enjoy life. It says all those things, and people get worried about it. Matter of fact, with that big long line of people we had this morning, some of you may have been worried about money things. You know, maybe all the money things going right now may be crashing down on you. Well, you got rid of the worry of it. Now we're going to see some structure from the Bible, what to do to make sure your priorities are right so Jesus can do what he wants to do. And, you know, I'll throw a verse out at you that you hear, if you're a church person, you hear all the time. If you're not, you can write it down. Philippians 4.19. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply part of your needs. All your need. So what's the will of God concerning need? God supply all your need. Is gasoline a need? Is food a need? Is school books a need? Whatever it is. Whatever it is you need. That's why it's called a need, because you need it. It says, my God shall supply all of your need according to how much overtime you can get. According to how much the government can give you in new benefits. He said, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He said, according to what he has that he can send to you from heaven. And of course, he doesn't have money in heaven, but he says, influence down on earth. And he'll move on the he'll move on the hearts of people to bless you. He'll move on your heart to bless somebody else. God uses people, but God said, I'll supply all your needs according to my riches and glory. And see, that's a priority. People get in trouble. They think, well, you know what, I can't I I don't have the time to go to church right now because I gotta make money, gotta make money, make money. And you know what? When you give up on God's priorities, that's like being out at a boat with a hole in it. You're trying to go somewhere. And you got a can getting water out of the boat, but you got a hole in the boat. And man, as fast as you get the water out, more water comes in and you're sinking all the time because you didn't patch the hole. Doing better preaching than you are shouting. Amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, I don't know about you, but I got tired of losing a long time ago. And I decided that God's way was better than my way. And praise God, since I've got on God's program... I follow his plan, and I stay blessed. And if something starts happening where I think, man, things aren't going right, I stop, and I check my priorities and make sure I'm still heading in the right direction of what God told me to do from the Bible. Amen. So anyway, it talks in the first several verses about all the different things people need. So then verse 31 says this, Therefore, take no thought. Well, it says anxious thought in the Greek. Take no anxious thought. Saying, do you notice the word saying? I circled that because those thoughts that hit you, you didn't take them till you speak them. When you begin to speak those worried thoughts, that means you bought it. Do you remember? Do you remember? We teach all the time. Uh, you can have what you say. Mark chapter 11, Jesus said, you'll have whatsoever you sayeth. And so Jesus said right here, when those thoughts come, don't take them. You didn't take them until you spoke them. How'd you speak them? Well, when the bill showed up or something bad happened, you couldn't pay right now. You, your wife, wherever you wish you'd be in to complain, you begin to whine. I don't know what we're going to do. I don't think we do it this time. I don't think we get more credit. 
I don't even know if we got enough gas to go to work this week. I don't know what we're going to do. Well, you took the thought. So what you do, you keep your mouth shut and say, you know what? I know the pastor said it, but he said it from the Bible, that my gosh, the supply of my need, according to his riches and glory. So instead of saying the worry, you begin to say, Father, I don't like the way this looks, but you told me you supply all of my need, according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. So I'm saying in the name of Jesus, we're going to have more than enough gas. I'm saying in the name of Jesus, the electric bill's paid. I've said in Jesus' name, by the time that insurance payment comes due at the end of the month, I've got the money because I'm looking to you, not to me. I'm going to work. I'm going to do my job, what I know to do. But, Lord, I'm going to keep my priorities right. I'm going to keep you first. I'm keeping you first. I know you're keeping me. Amen. Isn't that wonderful to know how this works? And it really does work. And so anyway, he says, take no anxious thoughts, saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Where thou shall we be clothed? After all these things do the Gentiles seek. And here, talk to New Testament Christians, that's talking about unsaved people, non-believers, people that don't know Jesus. says they're all seeking after these things. They're all worried. They work two jobs, three jobs. They work 12 hours a day, get two hours sleep, hit another job. And that's what they're doing. They don't know what else to do. He says, for your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. And so there's a lot of fear and worry in the world about everything. High gas, food, shortages. I hope nobody's going out and buying 15 cases of toilet paper again so we have to use napkins from McDonald's. (laughs) I'm just joking about that, but don't get caught up in that fear. Let Jesus handle it. But as born again uh, citizens of the kingdom of God, we must renew our minds and discipline ourselves to live and see life as citizens of God's kingdom. You know, I think I'm going to be contrasting the kingdom of God compared to the people of the world today, but I don't know how many people have been to a third world country. I've been to a few of them. And people in Central America see things different than people in the United States of America. People in Russia, Mexico, other places, they don't see things like we see them because all they see is empty shelves and nothing all the time. They don't see good water. Places I've been to in Central America, they got their sewage rolls right beside their house. They just, it's pretty bad stuff. But see, we see abundance, they see lack. <coughs> So we as citizens, we need to begin to look at things different. He says, your father knows you have need of all these things. But then verse 33, he tells us how it is we're supposed to live. In verse 33, he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so we've got to get established in our hearts and our thinking. We do live in a physical world, a natural world. But we receive life and direction and our strength from the spiritual realm called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God never changes. It's eternal. But the kingdom of God changes things. The kingdom of God changes people. And the kingdom of God changes people when they become born again. We become born again. How many here know that you see life different as a born again Christian than you did when you wasn't saved? And then at the same time, as a born-again Christian, 
that your life, how you live, how you function, affects your family when they see you. Because the kingdom of God in you changes things, it changes how you act, and it changes people that watch you. Jesus said, Teach, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And years ago, when I was studying that verse out, I thought, man, what do you mean seeking the kingdom of God? I'm a Christian. I'm in the kingdom of God. Well, when you look that up in the Greek words, that says, first of all, go for the expansion of God's kingdom. If your number one priority priority is to go for the expansion of God's kingdom, number one in all of life, the expansion of God's kingdom, which is God's family, then he said all these things are added to you. Now, let me ask you this. How many here know how a natural family expands? Babies. Um, Mrs. Pastor and I got stuck on Genesis 126 years ago. You know what Genesis 126 says? Be fruitful and multiply. We had eight kids. Then we got out of the book of Genesis and thought, wow, now we got to start paying for it. <laughs> we had eight kids. And so our family expanded. And so Jesus said, if you expand my family, which is new births, having Christian influence on the world around us, because when God's family gets bigger, the devil's family gets smaller. Because people come into God's family out of Satan's family. And in our country, you think about this. If we had more people in our country coming out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, being good church people, being good Christians, do you think that they'd vote different? Do you think that we'd have judges make different decisions if they were born again Christian judges? Do you think the mayors and the governors in America would legislate different what they're doing if they were born again Christians, they were serious about Jesus? Amen. That's why Jesus wants his family to expand. That's why he said the number one thing, if you want your needs met, get people saved. Then the people that make financial decisions in government, the people make financial decisions in business, where they're influenced by the Holy Spirit, instead of lust and greed, manipulation, all kinds of other things, if they're led by the Spirit of God, they're not going to care what people think when they vote a legislation. They're going to say, number one, I'm accountable to Jesus. And so they're not going to care be worried about what voters think. They're going to say, I'm number one accountable to Jesus. I'm a born-again Christian. I know that God put me in this position I'm in, and so I want to please him. So this is what I'm going to do. If I never get elected again, if for two years I can vote righteously for what God wants, that I've done my job. I want to be in here longer, but I'm a God-pleaser, not a people-pleaser. So that's what I'm going to do first. And think about it. That's why Jesus would say, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Because he wants to change society. And the way he changes society is born-again people running society. Does that make sense to you? Just stop thinking about what I'm saying. I'm thinking about what this passage here says. It says, all the people of the world are seeking after all the things. He said, don't seek things. Seek God and then things will find you. You know what? I like things finding me. I just, I just think about life. I can't get in a personal test. There have been so many things that I've never had to buy because they find me. And I like it that way. You know, I think about, well, one, 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 one thing. Years and years and years ago in Noblesville, Indiana, uh, I was laid off. 
didn't have a lot of money coming in. I think at that time we probably had six or eight kids. I mean, it was a bunch of them. We had a, we had a bunch of kids. Christmas was coming. And I don't know about you, but we like Christmas. We like to celebrate Jesus, but we like to bless our kids too. And so I remember I, I, was, I was still in trucking, but I was laid off. And just so happened, I had some work at that point in time. I was going in a truck. And when I got home, that we didn't have all the cell phones, all this easy communication. You didn't get good news from home till you got home. I got there. My wife standing there at the door, tears, some woman that she didn't know. There was a woman she used to go to church with that didn't even go to our church. I wasn't a pastor. We went to a church. There's a woman well, was a good friend of hers that had a mother that somehow or another found out we had a bunch of kids and needed Christmas. Woman shows up the door out of the blue, knocks on the door, and we're out way out in the middle of the country, Noblesville, Indiana, had a bunch of bags of stuff, new stuff, clothes, toys, I don't know what all it was. And for all those kids, every one of our kids got the right size shoes, the right size clothes, stuff for me, stuff for her, good stuff, useful stuff, fun stuff, toy stuff, all kinds of stuff. I don't know how much that would have cost, but the fact of the matter was, Jesus in heaven talked to a woman on earth to go to some people she didn't know, but she knew Jesus. And Jesus said, I want you to go. Take your money. Go to the store. Here's what I want you to buy. I'll tell you what, that takes a whole lot of concerns off of Christmas shopping. Just stay home. That's better than Amazon Prime. (laughs) Amen. But we were very, 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 very serious Christians. Wasn't preachers yet. We were serious Christians. We didn't compromise through the laid off days. Any money I got, the first dime on every dollar went to the tithe. Before I put gas in my tanks, I'd go to a work job. Before we go to the grocery store, everything came in. Every dollar out of every ten went into an envelope. And then when we got to go to church, we brought God's whole tithe into it. Why is that? That's called practical Christian living. The tithe belongs to the Lord. If you love Jesus first, you do what he wants you to do first. See, that's putting Jesus first, put the tithe first, puts him first, because if you love him, he's the Lord of the tithe. And then the windows of heaven are opened, and at Christmas time, instead of stealing God's tithe, you give God his tithe, then God buys you a whole lot better stuff than you could ever bought anyway. <laughs> I want to say it again. I'm doing better preaching than you are shouting. Man, somebody ought to be getting excited about that. And so the first priority for all believers is to go for the expansion of the kingdom. And so just, just think about that. And, you know, me and Mrs. Pastor, Mrs. Pastor and I have always said this. When we have special events at church and things going on, we always say this. Bring your enemies and bring your friends, too. Why do you bring your enemies? If you bring your enemies and they get born again, they're not your enemies anymore. You know, the first thing you ought to do is if you got people that don't like you, give you a hard time, start inviting them to church. You know, you get Jesus into them and they'll quit hating you. They'll quit giving you a hard time. You ought to be, you ought to be open to expanding the kingdom of God by starting off with people, first of all, that don't like you. <laughs> and somebody said, well, I wouldn't want them sitting next to me. Well, that means you don't like them either then. <laughs> So maybe, maybe, maybe they're going to invite you. 
Hey, man, that, that makes me want to shout to think about getting somebody give me a hard time into the kingdom of God and things change. But anyway, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 and 18. And we're going to show you how this works, how to expand the kingdom of God so you can operate the number one priority for your life as a Christian. Jesus says, seek ye first. What do you call that priority if he says first? First thing you want to do. That's what he said. Put the kingdom first. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 and 18 <clears throat> says this, therefore, if any man or any person be in Christ, he's a new creature, a new creation. And so when you are born again, you're in Christ. And, you know, I, I, I said a minute ago, but Christians, to be victorious Christians, to be more than conquering Christians that the Bible says he wants us to be, must get the revelation there's a difference between your head and your spirit inside of you. Your mind thinks all kinds of goofy things. Your mind thinks loser. Your mind thinks sick, poor, broke, impossible, can't do it, can't win. That's why Romans 12 says, renew your mind, change how you think. But your born-again heart that became new in Christ, on the inside is always thinking, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Greater hits in me than hits in the world. And whatever your favorite verses are you have in your heart, if you don't have any yet, just keep coming to church. You'll learn some. Get in the Word of God. Read your Bible. But as those things are in there, you have to learn that you keep this shut off if it's not the Word coming out. And you let what's in there come out up here. So he says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. He says, behold, uh, a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All things are become new. Talk about the things in your heart. You know, whatever color your hair is, is still there. Got a lot of hair, you still got a lot of hair. You got no hair, got no hair. Blue eyes, brown eyes. Outside doesn't change. But on the inside, you're a brand new creature. Brand new creation. You don't have the nature of Satan anymore, a fallen man. You got the nature of Jesus Christ. And that nature is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, etc., etc. On the inside, you don't hate, now you love. All things become new. Somebody offends you, tries to give you a hard time, then when you're yielding to the new nature, the first thing you think is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You pray like Jesus prayed. First thing you want to do is say, Lord, what can I do to bless them? Because you said to bless and curse not my enemies. So what can I do? But the old nature would have said, I don't get mad, I get even. I'll tell you what, you just wait. I know what I'm going to do. That's the old nature. Has anybody ever had that old nature where that's how you thought? Well, the new nature, you don't think that way. He said, all things are become new. And I like this. And all things are of God. All of the new things in your new spirit, man, your recreated spirit, says they are of God. All things are of God. I like to say it this way. If you've never heard this, write this down in your notes if you've never heard what I'm getting ready to say before. We now have God's DNA. That stands for divine nature and ability. I now have, like Heller Bibles up said those words a while ago, 
I, on the inside of me, have God's divine nature and ability. That's why I can preach words that come out with anointing on them, because the Holy Spirit anoints those words. That's why I can lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus, they shall recover. And I can't do anything that you can't do. I'm a believer. As a pastor, as a preacher, i got a little different anointing, but you got the same anointing. you got the Holy Spirit. You have God's divine nature. Now, we'll look at more of that in a little bit in the Bible. But you've got to see that to be able to recognize that you can do something about expanding the kingdom of God. It says that all things are of God. He's reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. <clears throat> now, look at this. And hath given to us, he has given to us, believers, the ministry of reconciliation. There's a difference between being a ministry gift that ministers the congregations, and every believer has the ministry of reconciliation. Every one of us, as born-again Christians and believers, are called by God to the ministry of reconciliation. And so what is the ministry of reconciliation? Think about this. You know, in life, sometimes, husbands and wives have differences. I look at a blessed couple over there. They thought about the reconciliation factor, didn't you? <laughs> and so when husbands and wives become separated, I don't know how courts do it now, but years ago, <clears throat> one of the final things that the judge had to decide, is there any chance of reconciliation, the judge would say. And they went through all the counseling, all the things they did, and then the lawyers say, no, Your Honor, there's no chance of reconciliation. The judge would grant a divorce. Well, in the Garden of Eden... Adam and Eve transgressed and separated us from God. Mankind had a relationship with God, began the Garden of Eden. Then Adam and Eve, representing the whole family of humans, they divorced from God. They walked away. They hooked up with the devil. And so then it says right here that through Jesus, we're brought back to God. We're reconciled to God. We are given the ministry of getting people hooked back up with God through Jesus. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Has anybody ever tried to work with friends or loved ones, a husband's wife separated, and you know that somewhere, some down the side of them, this thing ought to be able to work because you know deep down they really love each other. You try to get them reconciled. You talk to them. You plead with them. You say things. You tell them the pros of being together, the cons of not being together. Try to get them hooked back up. That's what reconciliation is. Talking to people and telling them, hey man, look at my life. Look where I was. You know where I used to be. I'm talking about you talking to your friends and people. Man, I used to be like you. I was stressed out. Things were bad, etc., etc. But I got reconciled to God through Jesus. And you can be reconciled. That's the ministry of reconciliation. Letting people know things can change that to get reconciled with their creator. Amen. How many here, <clears throat> and this, you know, I, I want to always say this. I don't set, I'm not a preacher who sets people up to get people to raise their hands like, aha, I tricked you, wrong answer. I don't do those things. But this, this is just an honest question. I, I just like to see by showing hands, how many here never knew that you were called to the ministry of reconciliation? Yeah, 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 I got several of you that you didn't know you were called. You are called, according to the Bible, how many know that the epistles, the letters of the New Testament are talking to Christians? 
And Paul said, you're a new creature in Christ. And then he said that the number one thing as a new creature in Christ, you've got to recognize you've got a ministry now. He didn't say you're called to be a pastor or a Bible teacher or a Christian counselor. He said you're called to the ministry of reconciliation. Well, see, that's in life, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Put him first by getting the kingdom expanded. Well, you know, I think about, what do you think about when a man and a woman gets married newlyweds? You know, first comes love, then comes marriage, after that the baby carriage. Everybody heard that old nursery rhyme song? Well, that's one of the first things you think about when a young couple gets married. How soon? They're going to have a baby. And then if you're one of these, I don't know what to set my wife and never was this way. But then if you're one of these people that like to stick your nose in other people's business, well, come on, come on, come on. Is she pregnant yet? Come on, come on. When are you guys going to have that baby? But you know that's going to happen when you get young people married and in love like that. But when you're Christians, one of the most exciting thing there is to help birth the first baby of the kingdom of God that you get to witness to. You get to influence, to influence somebody and be able to come testify. You know what? I was witnessing so-and-so, and I got to pray with them. Our God of the church, and they come up the altar, they accepted Jesus. You know what you just did? You put the kingdom first by expanding the kingdom, and you effectively ministered in your ministry. <clears throat> and so the ministry of reconciliation, then, he tells you about it more in verse 19 and verse 20. <clears throat> the ministry of reconciliation is to wit or to know, says God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, that have committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And according to this, what's the word of reconciliation? You tell them people, God's not mad at you. You know, religious people might tell them how much God's mad at them, how he's going to get them if they don't change, etc., etc., and when you know the Bible, <clears throat> the Bible talks at the end times of judgment. There's two judgments. The book of Revelation tells about them. Number one, there's the judgment seat of Christ. Sinners never go there. That's for Christians. At the judgment seat of Christ, God judges you and he judges me for what we did, for what he told us to do with our life. At the judgment seat of Christ... We'll be rewarded and blessed for what we did right. And then for what we didn't do, he just lets us know, man, you missed it. But you're in heaven. And then it talks about the great white throne of judgment. And the great white throne of judgment, it says only only the non-believers appear there. Jesus sits on the judgment seat of Christ. God sits on the great white throne. The great white throne, people, pe- people do not at the great white throne of judgment get judged for adultery, for murder, for thievery, for anything else. They get judged for one thing at the great white throne. They rejected Jesus Christ. And so this says right here, it says the mystery of reconciliation is letting people know God is not mad at you. God wants you to receive Jesus so you can have a relationship with him and be reconciled to where God wants you. He wants you hooked up. And we as Christians... When we share our witness with people, we let them know God's not mad at you. He wants you to come into his family. And then once you come into the family, then you start learning how to live right. But, you know, just because somebody is having wrong sexual relations as a sinner, 
What do sinners do? They sin. Sinners don't tithe. Sinners, for the most part, don't forgive. Sinners have no conscience about lying and cheating because they don't have the new nature. They got the nature of fallen man. They don't have, they don't have a conscience about hurting people. But once they get born again, then they got a new conscience. And so it, it's, it's wrong to tell sinners, you're going to go to hell for sleeping with that woman. No, you're going to go to hell because you rejected Jesus. Amen. Amen. Is that good preaching or what? You know, we've got to know how to operate the ministry of reconciliation. So anyway, verse 20, you need to see this. It says, now then, now look at this. You probably didn't know this either. We are ambassadors. He's talking about Christians, talking about you, talking about me. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're ministers of reconciliation, but we're ambassadors also for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be you reconciled to God. As so in our realm of influence, not only do we let people know that God's not mad at them, but at the same time, we need to let them know that we're representatives of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven. We're sent into a foreign land. The Bible teaches us we live in two different realms. In the spirit, we're connected with Jesus in heaven. But in this natural world, we live in earth suits, in physical bodies to come through this world. And so we, right now, our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Bible teaches us we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven first before we're citizens of this world. And so as citizens of the kingdom of heaven... As ambassadors, we're just like if you take an American embassy and put it somewhere else, then they're in that land, but it's American soil. When you take an ambassador to a foreign land, I saw the embassy down in Nicaragua. Dave, you remember that embassy, the embassy on that one road, how big that embassy was over there, the American embassy with the flag? Didn't look like the rest of it, did it? <laughs> Different thing. And so we as ambassadors of heaven, have access to the resources of heaven, not just earth. When American embassies are built and ambassadors are in a foreign country, they don't operate by the same rules as that country. They operate by American rules. And so when they're in that country, they have access to the resources of America. That's why we go in foreign lands. The ambassador can call out America. We need this over here. And they says what they need so they can influence those people. Why do they want to influence them? They want the people of that country to see how good America is. So the embassies bring medicine in. They bring food in. They bring help in. They bring technical people in. Whatever it is. And they let the people in that country know, this is for the good people of the United States of America. We want to help you. Well, if we're an ambassador, and the Bible says we are ambassadors, you know, when the Bible says something... You don't have to feel like it to believe it. The Bible says it, so then you believe it. We're ministers of reconciliation, but we're ambassadors. That's why Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply all of your need, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Well, the American Embassy over there says, Hey, we'll take care of this need, according to the riches of the United States of America. We'll bring it in. That's why we, 
as ambassadors of the kingdom on our last dollar could go out and buy somebody's lunch just so we could share the gospel with them. We say, you know what? Jesus is good. He's so good. He wants me to buy your meal today. I remember, I remember family a few years ago. We've done this more than once, but I remember a family come to our church that, matter of fact, one of the kids come to our church, but the parents did and found out they were, had about three or four kids. Mom didn't go to church. And so the Lord, Mrs. Pastor and I went over to the house with several hundred dollars and we said, this is for your kids Christmas. Take care of this Christmas because Jesus loves you. That was an ambassador and a Mrs. Ambassador taking the kingdom to some people that needed help just to let them know this is how good Jesus is. He cares for your family. That's the ministry of reconciliation and action. You see how this works. We're not limited. We're not limited to earthly means or resources. We're ambassadors. And the only thing that limits us is us. I want, I want to tell you something that, you know, I don't know if you think about this or not. The greatest miracle that Jesus ever does is the new birth. A person turns from darkness to light. That's the greatest miracle there is on the inside of hope. A person changing. And you know what? A person could be in a communist country, any other kind of country that's totally anti-God, anti-Jesus. The devil cannot stay, stop the new birth from taking place no matter where it's at. You could be in a place where they get ready to chop your head off. Because you're, you're a person that believes in Jesus, and somebody else there doesn't believe, but they become a believer. They say, Jesus, help me, I want to be saved. And then they leave this world. The devil couldn't stop that new birth. And so we as Christians, as ambassadors, when we're walking in our ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors, and we call upon heaven, if the devil can't stop the greatest miracle there ever is from happening, how could he stop miracles from happening through you when you're out there representing him? You know, the greatest miracles that take place are you're in, when you're in heathen land. What's heathen land? Well, Paul said in the book of Romans, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so when we're out there in the darkest places, that's when your light shines the brightest and God could use you the best. Amen. Amen. And so I'll be winding this down here in just a minute. But uh, Jesus wants us to recognize who we are and that we do have all the resources and the authority of heaven available to us for the purpose of demonstrating the goodness of God, the goodness of God to our home country. You know, I just, I just think about back over the years, all the testimonies I've heard from you from our lives. It's so wonderful when we're out there in that dark world and people are hurting at the hurtingest that we reach out with the love of Jesus, how the power of God shows up. But it, Number one, we have to be the ones to take our eyes off our own weaknesses, off our own lack, our own inability, and look up to heaven where our embassy is and say, heaven, we need some anointing. Heaven, we need some boldness. Heaven, help me to walk in the love of God to help these people. Amen? And so I'm, I'm going to close now with Mark chapter 16 and look verse 15 through 20 and I hope this takes a different, uh, has, has, has some influence on you. And not just like this stuff that if you've been a Christian while well, you've heard a lot, but this is the commission for the ministry of reconciliation. This is the great commission for your ambassadorship.
I don't feel like an ambassador, but I am. How about you? Does anybody here really feel like one? Maybe you do. I don't know. But how many now for the Bible believe because the Bible says that you're an ambassador for Jesus? You're an ambassador. And how many, how many know enough about how America works, what an ambassador of America is? These ambassadors point to ambassador ships. When they go over there, they don't get over there when the country's working right. There has been some times in the near past when it didn't work right. But when it's working right, and you got a bona fide ambassador with the government authorities over here doing their job right, when ambassador calls for help, the troops come pouring in, supplies come pouring in, help comes pouring in, because that's an ambassador backed by one of the greatest powers on earth, the United States of America. Well, there's much higher power. Amen. The power of the Holy Ghost. The power of heaven. And when we call, he listens. I think about, I'm going to read this, but I was thinking about one time several years ago, right here in this church, on a Wednesday night. It wasn't a great big anointed service, but it's a little bit different on Sunday morning. Wednesday night, a short, we caught the our, our short Bible time. And a lady that was a casual church attender, she wasn't really what we call super, super spiritual. She was born again Christian. Come up here on a Wednesday night, right before getting ready to preach. And she says, I've been to the doctor. I've got to have cataract surgery. And said, I'd like Jesus to heal my eyes. Well, I preached about eyes getting healed a lot. I've always had anointing for eyes. woman stands up here. And I looked at her. I laid my hands on her eyes. And right there in the Wednesday night service, heaven came through me. Had melted those cataracts. Right there on a Wednesday night. It wasn't a super preaching time Sunday morning, but I'm saying I recognize my position in the kingdom of God. I recognize that when I pray for people, I'm not the healer, Jesus is. And I recognize when I tell people what's in this verse right here, that's not me that's responsible for making it happen. I'm responsible for starting the action. And when I do my part, Jesus always does his part. And so I'm saying this for your benefit. It doesn't make any difference if you're a brand new Christian, if you're a 50-year-old Christian, you've always been timid or bashful and private. There's nothing private about your salvation. There's nothing to be bashful about. If Jesus healed you, don't you want him healing other people? If he saved you, don't you want him saving other people? That's what it's all about. So look at this right here. And this is for the ministry of reconciliation. It's for ambassadors. Verse 15. And he said unto them, Go into all the world, which includes the high desert, and preach the gospel to every creature. And what's the gospel? It's the good news. To every creature, to every person. What's the good news? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And so our job, we're not responsible for the response we're responsible for telling them. If they reject it, that's between them and God. But our job is to let them know. And, you know, it's, it's not a religious thing. You, God knows who we are. He knows our character. He knows our personality. He knows our lingo. I'll tell you what. I was a truck driver for 28 years. You know, a lot of people may not understand. You know, that guy must be 110 years old, been doing this and all that. Now I'm only 105. <laughs> I cannot tell you. How many times, as an undercover agent, an undercover ambassador of the trucking world, I was able to sneak up on people and get them born again. I've been in the crowd of a bunch of some of the foul-mouthed people you ever saw before like that. And they think, well, man, he's just an old truck driver. He's like us. Well, the door would open, 
start, start sharing the gospel one-on-one sometimes or sometimes more than one-on-one. And because I was an ambassador, I always called myself an undercover agent. I'd be out there and they would listen to me. But if I walked into those places with my suit on, my tie on like that, they'd say, I don't think you're some stupid preacher. Well, I'm not a stupid preacher. I'm learning a lot. But anyway, out there in that world like that, God always plants you with people like you. Doctors are the best witnesses to doctors. Politicians are the best witnesses to politicians. McDonald's workers witness McDonald's people the best. And the whole thing is what I'm saying is this. Like he said, every seed produces after its kind. So God plants you, whether you're super educated, no educated, whether you're rich, poor, in between, God puts you in an atmosphere of people where they'll listen to you because their guard goes up. If somebody doesn't look like them, looks like them, comes around, the guard comes up. But you just have your everyday relationships. They think, well, this, well, this is just old Desiree works at Home Depot. I know Desiree. Well, I know what Desiree is, man. She's a power machine at Home Depot for Jesus. But people think that's just old Desiree. A girl works at Home Depot. Nah, she's an ambassador. She knows. She does her job. And so what I'm telling you, wherever you are in life, Jesus has you there. And you don't make doors open. Just opportunities happen. You know, the next time somebody starts talking about their marriage, whining about money, about their job, just hold your tongue till the door opens and they say something like, well, what do you think? Well, if you're going to be a true ambassador, you're going to tell them what you think. You say, well, you know what? I used to think like you, but I found out about Jesus. and I don't think that way anymore. If they shut you down, you're done. But if they don't shut you down, then the door's open, then you run through it. And so he says, preach the gospel to every creature. Now, here's your resources that are available. <clears throat> and these signs shall follow them that believe. And so if you're a Christian, that means you believe. In my name, in the name of Jesus, you cast out demons, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, drink any deadly thing, and shall not hurt them, lay hands on the sick, and they, sh- they shall recover. And so just wrapping that up real briefly, what he says is this. If the devil's got a hold on people in the name of Jesus, you say, Satan, take your hands off this woman. Take your hands off this child. In Jesus' name, Satan, I rebuke you. Get out of here. Lay hands on the sick in the name of Jesus. And the power of God flows. You know what you just did? You just reached into your embassy. You said, heaven, I need anointing. Heaven said, what's the passcode? And you said, the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been locked out of your account because it says the wrong passcode? Don't you hate that they do stupid things? You know you did the right thing, say you're locked out? And you got three times you're locked out? Well, guess what? In heaven, you don't get locked out. Amen. We've all got the same passcode. If you pay in the prayer line up here, I get little kids come up here. Pastor, I'll go to boo-boo. I say, okay, let's take care of boo-boo. We do a little prayer. Pastor, somebody else goes, Pastor, I was just diagnosed with such and such and such and such. I say, okay. Name of Jesus, same passcode, takes care of boo-boos, takes care of cancer. You know why? I don't have the ability to heal, heal a boo-boo, but Jesus does. That's so I recognize, I recognize the same anointing 
that heals a bellyache is the same anointing that heals the last stage of cancer. It's not a different anointing, it's the same anointing, but it's the same name. I'm an ambassador. And so I close with these two verses right here. And so then, after the Lord has spoken unto them, and the Lord speaking to us right now through his word, he was received up into heaven, set on the right hand of God. And, of course, at the right hand of God, he's backing up his word. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them. Glory to God. The Lord working with them. The Lord working with them. Got to stop before I get that last verse. I see, I see another testimony. I got to be on a federal jury one time back in Indiana. Since then, in California, man, I don't like California. Every time they take me to the jury stuff and ask if I don't have a preacher, they all disqualify me. They've done it every time. I told Mrs. Pastor, next time they call me to a jury duty, I said, would it be a lie to say I'm a retired truck driver? Just don't tell them I'm an active preacher. A retired truck driver is the truth, but it's just a partial truth. But anyway, I don't like when they shut me down because that federal jury, in their jury room, we couldn't talk about the case. We talked about anything else. So guess what I talked about? And then, you know what happened? There become a division in the jury room. The people didn't want to hear me got in that corner and told their dirty jokes or whatever they did. The rest of them got on this side. Three or four of them got born again. Methodist lady got filled with the Holy Ghost, started speaking in tongues in the jury room. But anyway, that's not the part I was talking about. See, I was an ambassador of the jury. I loved it. And what I loved about that is because it was a closed, closed room with a captive audience. I loved that. I'd love to do it again, but they don't let me. Anyway, <clears throat> you know what? That's the one thing always gets me. I Christians say, how can I get out of jury duty? I say, give it to me. I'll do it for you. <laughs> let me get in there with those guys. But anyway, with the federal jury in Indianapolis, I was in the federal building. And the crowd, the lobby is all, all, all filled up with people. And I was trying to get through there to get to my jury room upstairs. And this little old lady in the crowd bumped into me and said, Excuse me, sir, can you tell me where the lost and found is? Well, we stand right in front of this big old thing on the wall that had, you know, you used to do those white letters inside the glass. And it said things like gap barrels. And it said, Lost and found right on or something like that. I said, Well, there it is right there. So as she said, she said, she said, I got cataracts and I'm blind. I can't hardly see anything. And when she said that, I thought, Man, goodbye, jury. And I really did it like this. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> I said, you know what? Jesus will heal you right here, right now, if you want it. I said, do you want to see? He said, yes. And so I got her away from the crowd up against the wall because there were people there. I laid hands on my, that lady's head. And what I did, she started crying. Oh, 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 I can see. I can see. I love it. And you know what happened, though? The Lord was working with me. I didn't heal that lady. The Lord was working with me, confirming the word besides following. I told her that Jesus said, lay hands on her in his name and he would heal her. So when I said that Jesus will heal you, he healed her. Amen. And so see, all I'm telling all of you is this. The number one priority in your life, you don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to have goosebumps. You don't have to fast and pray for 15 days. Jesus told us, said, number one thing, put the kingdom first. Number one thing, you don't have to try to make things happen. He'll send them to you. When it happens, just be brave enough to open your mouth and in your own words, speak the words out of your mouth. Tell them what Jesus has done for you and tell them what Jesus will do for them. 
And then just reach out and pray with them. They'll let you. If they don't let you hold hands or anything like that, then just say, can I say a prayer for you? And I'll tell you what, everybody I've ever prayed for in public, no matter who they are, I've had a lot of good cases in this Walmart store. I think Irma gets them set up for me. But anyway, I've had a lot of good cases. Irma's our Walmart, Walmart gal over there. They bow their heads and they pray. And they pray the presence of God comes in. You know what just happened then? The kingdom of God expanded. The kingdom of God expanded. My needs are met, not because I'm earning anything, because I put the kingdom first and said, I'll add things. So that's how it works. If you want your needs met, if you want your life to stay full of joy and victory, quit thinking about what are you going to do and start thinking about who am I going to see. And then when you see him, Jesus will let you know you share the gospel. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.